All right, good afternoon, everyone. You're at your final countdown. We're gonna close shop very soon. Um, this topic is actually very vast and very important. Um, but I'm gonna try to make it bite-sized so that it's very practical and hopefully you have some um, use from uh, what I talk about. So the goal with this talk is really to review the risk of infections by class of immunosuppressant therapy first, uh, then to go over specific infections to recognize, um, and then also how to minimize risk of infections. So when talking to your patients, and also based on uh, the literature published so far, uh, infections can be categorized in different classes. Uh, there are benign infections, which are the most common. Um, this can be like sinus infections, oral herpes, for example. Serious infections, these are infections that require hospitalization. Um, and opportunistic infections, and these are infections that affect the immunocompromised. Oh, so when I talk about the medication classes going forward, I'm gonna to try to break it down into those categories. And the data is, um, is, is basically few in terms of quantitative data. There's a lot of qualitative data. But I was very lucky because uh, recently there was a study published in Gastro uh, which helped actually add to uh, the information that we have for uh, infections, especially um, serious and opportunistic infections. So starting off with anti-TNF therapy, uh, the most common infections are benign infections. So this includes upper respiratory infections, urinary tract infections. A lot of this data came from clinical trials, um, as well as the TREAT registry, uh, which is a long-term safety registry for infliximab. So really, those are the most common infections for anti-TNF therapy. Well, how about serious infections? Uh, well, you've heard already uh, over the past few days about this study out of gastro. It's a French population study um, looking at uh, serious and opportunistic infections um, in the population. Um, so with anti-TNF ther therapy, monotherapy, uh, the risk is about a little bit less than 2% uh, per year for serious infections. When you add a thiopurine to that, it goes a little bit more than 2% per year. The most common serious infection actually was pneumonia, but all risk categories were increased uh, with anti-TNF therapy. And um, to kind of elaborate on Tina Ha, who just spoke, um, you know, patients over age 65 are also found to have a higher risk of infection. And, and this was, was uh, with monotherapy or even combo therapy. Well, how about uh, other studies? Well, there's the TREAT registry, which also uh, looked at serious infections, similar types of infections found, and also older age was associated with a higher risk of infection as well. How about opportunistic infections with anti-TNF therapy? Well, the risk um, is less than for serious. Now we're talking about 0.2% per year uh, for a monotherapy. If you add uh, an, a thiopurine to the anti-TNF therapy, now you're going up to 0.4% per year. Um, and all types of opportunistic infections were increased, uh, but it did not meet statistical significance for fungal infections. Um, and this may have to do with the fact that, you know, maybe in France, there's less fungal infections. I pr probably not. Uh, but fungal infections may vary based on location of practice or where we're seeing our patients, um, just as in the United States. Um, uh, with the TREAT registry, in terms of types of uh, opportunistic infections, herpes zoster, um, a serious uh, cases of TB, as well as histoplasmosis, in one case, disseminated. 
And then a colleague of mine actually published a study recently based out of the VA system showing that um, anti-TNF therapy alone was not associated with herpes zoster. So there may be, you know, uh, it's, uh, there may be a slight risk of herpes zoster, but not as much as the next class of medications, which are thiopurines. And thiopurines include uh, azathioprine and 6-marcaptopurine. And really the theme with thiopurines um, in one sense is really the risk for herpes zoster, whether it's benign, um, serious, or opportunistic. Um, and other uh, uh, infections that are also increased include um, herpes, which herpes flare-ups, as well as the increased number of warts based on an outpatient study. So serious infections, what's the rate? Based on the French study, it was about uh, 1% per year, um, but it was less than that for an anti-TNF. And then for opportunistic infections, the theme, again, is viral infections predominate. Um, but overall, with uh, thiopurines, there is an increased risk of infections in general. Um, as far as mortality, um, with anti-TNF therapy, so far no increased risk of mortality that we know of. With thiopurines, the same. But there are case reports of uh, severe fatal infections, such as that of uh, CMV and EBV, leading to, to cases such as HLH um, infection. Well, how about natalizumab? Well, natalizumab is an alpha-4, beta-7, beta-1 uh, antibody uh, causing immunosuppression in the brain and in the GI tract. Uh, based on the clinical trials for natalizumab, uh, there was an increased risk of nasopharyngitis and, and even maybe the flu uh, based on the clinical trials for IBD. But of course, the most serious infection that you hear about with uh, natalizumab is really the concern for PML uh, due to JC. And risk factors other than having being JC positive include long duration of treatment for more than two years, being on prior immunosuppressants. Um, these really increase your risk based on data from August 2015. The risk of PML was about one in 238. But if you're anti-JC antibody negative, the risk is less than one in a thousand risk. There's also post-marketing data for other serious infections with natalizumab, including herpes encephalitis and meningitis, and something called acute retinal necrosis, which is a viral infection caused by herpes. How about vetalizumab? So this is a gut-selective alpha-integrin antibody. Um, Again, with uh, this class, there's a slight increased risk of nasopharyngitis again, with a slight trend of more upper respiratory type infections, influenza, sinusitis as well. Uh, how about serious and opportunistic infections? Well, so far, no increased risk that we know of based on the clinical trial data. Um, and, uh, but there may be a trend to, towards uh, slightly more GI infections such as C. diff, CMV, but still not statistically significant. Also, no cases of PML so far that are completely attributable to vetalizumab. Well, how about istekinumab? So far, based on the trials published, no increased risk of infections overall, but based on the psoriasis trials, uh, these included other IL-23 pathway drugs. Uh, based on a meta-analysis, there was no increased risk of infections. And this is based on dosing, though, of 90 milligrams every 12 weeks. Um, of course, with uh, estekinumab, there are, have been case reports, of course, of infections such as uh, reactivation of latent TB, herpes zoster as well. 
How about tofacitinib? You've been hearing a lot about tofa throughout this conference, um, with the theme being, you know, uh, the risk of herpes zoster uh, with it. Um, but uh, and based on the clinical trial data, and there was actually a recent publication by Sanborn, uh, basically accumulating all the data from um, the clinical trials and open label uh, studies, showing that yes, the risk of herpes zoster is increased. It seems to be dose dependent as well, so it's higher risk with the uh, 10 milligram uh, BID dosing. Um, and the risk can also increase your risk for um, opportunistic infections related to herpes zoster. So there's a higher rate of uh, other things such as ophthalmic herpes zoster, and there was one case of herpes uh, meningitis as well, herpes zoster meningitis. Uh, but most of the cases were cutaneous. Also, uh, with TOFA, there is a slight uh, higher risk of nasopharyngitis and upper respiratory infections. How about corticosteroids? So uh, Dr. Ha also mentioned corticosteroids as um, uh, an, ev an evil doer for our older patients, that, which is true. Um, corticosteroids is associated with a higher risk of mortality overall with its use, um, and specifically uh, also higher risk of infections in the elderly. What are the types of infections? For benign infections, we're talking about herpes zoster increased risk, maybe not as much though as thiopurines and TOFA. Um, and overall, serious infections are increased. This includes even C. diff, which you heard also from Dr. Binion, and uh, post-op infections, actually. Uh, this is something that we published several years ago. And then the other thing is, with long-term steroid use and high-dose steroid use, um, there is a concern for PCP pneumonia. Um, this risk increase can go up tenfold uh, with steroids, although the risk of PCP pneumonia in general is low. But it is recommended that for those patients on high-dose steroids for at least eight weeks, and another um, society recommends greater than 20 milligrams for at least four weeks, consider prophylaxis. And I'll talk, talk about PCP a little bit later, uh, but there are also other recommendations from uh, GI general consensus. How about some of the other medications that we use to treat? How about methotrexate, for example? Well, in the, in the IBD literature, there's actually limited data. In the non-IBD literature, it does seem to be, there, there does seem to be a higher risk of uh, infection overall with case reports of opportunistic infections. How about cyclosporin? Uh, the same is true in the IBD literature, uh, but definitely opportunistic infections reported with PCP, aspergillus. And as we know, even fatal infections, when we start acc um, accumulating meds, cumulative meds, cyclosporin, steroids, azathioprine, our hospitalized patients, there's even a risk of uh, death. So what are the specific pathogens? So what do you guys think in terms of class of, of pathogens? You know, my topic actually was viral, bacterial, or fungal infections. What are the most common? Of those categories, how many think bacterial infections are most common? Okay. How about uh, fungal infections? How about viral infections? Okay. So yes. So it's the most common infections actually are viral infections uh, with especially the meds that we use. 
Now, when we're talking about the data to, sh to show this, there is a limited qual uh, quantitative data, there's a lot of qualitative data um, showing kind of the, the, the prevalence of viral infections and infections overall. But based on uh, the outpatient data that we have for benign infections, herpes zosters is, is increased, uh, followed by uh, herpes simplex, HPV, and uh, I had to include upper respiratory infections as well because many upper respiratory infections are viral, but they're not necessarily specified in terms of what the pathogens are. Um, based on the French study, um, they also looked to see what, were, what, what was most common. Um, and the most common uh, opportunistic infections were viral. Again, these are serious infections, so these are hospitalized-based patients. Um, and the most common were C was CMV, HSV, EBV, viral meningitis, viral pneumonia, acute viral hepatitis, and there was one case of PML. So uh, to elaborate on specific infections, herpes zoster, as you've heard already um, many times, but the presentation can be of a blistering vesicular rash in a dermatomal um, uh, pattern, and it, this is basically reactivation of uh, varicella. Um, what's interesting is that you can have also symptoms preceding it, which include pain, itching, or tingling, which may occur days to weeks prior to even having the rash. Um, and the rash can also disseminate, especially in patients that are on immunosuppressants. Uh, risk factors include thiopurines, as, as you've heard, corticosteroids, tofacitinib, and um, an age over 50. What's also interesting is that patients with IBD specifically are maybe even at increased risk even without being on immunosuppressants. And it seems to affect all age groups with IBD. And in a Korean study that was just published, uh, the median age of uh, herpes zoster was 36 years old. The guidelines right now for uh, prevention uh, for herpes zoster in, are, is basically you know, giving a vaccine for patients over age 50. Right now we're recommending uh, Shingrex because it's not live, um, but in the future we need to consider maybe you know, vaccinating our younger patients as well and having more data in that, in that population. Uh, patients um, that receive herpes zoster, it's two doses, two to six months apart. Um, they can receive it uh, if they've had zoster before or if they've had Zostavax, which is a live vaccine, uh, but it's not recommended for those that are seronegative to varicella. How about HPV? Well, HPV is also pretty prevalent in our population, about 20 to 40% prevalence in adults. There are over 100 types of HPV with high-risk HPV causing cancers such as cervical cancer, and there's lower-risk HPV uh, as well, which can cause genital warts, for example. In the IBD population, uh, worsening of warts can occur with thiopurines, and there's a possible increased risk of cervical dysplasia as well in women uh, with IBD. So there is a nine-valent HPV vaccine, and right now the age has been expanded to up to age 45 uh, for both uh, men and women, actually. So how about herpes simplex, one and two? 
This is also a very prevalent virus and can cause complications in our immunosuppressed patients. Uh, the prevalence is about 90% by age 40 can cause oral genital ulcers. And as mentioned, with immunocompromised patients, it can cause disseminated disease, meningitis, encephalitis, pneumonia, GI infections, and hepatitis. Diagnostic tests include uh, culture, PCR, um, as well as serology. And treatment is generally with a cyclovir uh, IV if it's uh, severe. Uh, oral valcyclovir is also an option when it's not severe. And for those patients on immunosuppressants that are getting recurrent flares, consider prophylaxis in those patients. How about cytomegalovirus, CMV? Well, the prevalence of CMV is about 40 to 100% in the general population and becomes activated on immunosuppression. It can cause a flu-like syndrome. Um, It can also cause hepatitis, and as well as you know, CMV um, colitis as well. And in the steroid refractory patients, uh, CMV prevalence can be as high as 32% in a a study published in uh, 2008. So diagnostic testing um, is based on the location of where you suspect the CMV to be. So if it's in the GI tract, of course, you're going to be doing endoscopic procedure. But if somewhere else, then you may be doing serum CMV um, to help detect. And treatment is with um, IV gencyclovir or oral valgencyclovir. So what are the most common bacterial infections? Again, based on that French study that was published this year, uh, bacterial infections were the second most common opportunistic infection. What were they? Included mycobacterium infections, strep pneumoniae, salmonella, legionnaires, and listeriosis. And also what's common is C. diff, as you've heard from Dr. Binion. Streptococcus pneumonia um, is the most common community-acquired pneumonia. Um, It can cause meningitis and bacteremia. And risk factors include being over age 65, having a chronic illness, and being on immunosuppressants. And you've heard already at this meeting of the the vaccines that are available for this. Um, This includes the 13-valent pneumococcal vaccine and the 23-valent pneumococcal vaccine. And both are recommended for our patients on immunosuppressants um, that are over age 18. Um, If they haven't received either one, it's recommended to get the 13-valent first. Mycobacterium tuberculosis, what's the concern here? Well, if someone has been exposed to TB and then they're treated with an anti-TNF, um, there's a five-fold increased risk of reactivation in the first year of, its, of using an anti-TNF. Uh, and reactivation cases uh, may not be necessarily pulmonary. They can be extra pulmonary or disseminated. So we need to screen our patients prior to starting um, medications such as anti-TNFs and even other biologics. What's recommended, as you've heard, TST testing, interferon gamma, release assay testing, and consideration for even a baseline chest X-ray based on the ACG recommendations that had just come out. How about um, what to do if someone has latent TB? Um, They tested positive. What are you going to do for those patients? Well, some... Guidelines suggest maybe uh, starting chemoprophylaxis one to two months prior, but in general, even in, in my institution, sometimes we get the ID docs involved to help um, decide on that right time frame. And um, while on immunosuppressant therapy, the question becomes how often to rescreen our patients to, for exposure to TB. Um, the optimal screening is not yet known how often, but the goal is that one should probably rescreen at some point. 
Um, C. diff infection, as you've heard from Dr. Binion in great detail, um, in patients that flare, um, 26% of those patients, it's because of an enteric infection based on a recent study that was published, and the most common infection was C. diff. And uh, risk factors for this include colonic involvement, corticosteroids, antibiotics, as you've heard, um, and also increased mortality and higher risk for surgery, longer hospitalizations for our, our patients that have this. Diagnostic testing, as you've heard, it's two-step that's preferred rather than one-step NAD alone due to the concern for, for colonization. And the treatment now is first-line, non-severe cases, vanco or fedoxymycin, and not metronidazole. Severe cases, vanco plus maybe consideration for IV metronidazole. And then last category that is very significant but not necessarily most common are fungal infections. Um, and based on a systematic review of studies published of fun fungal infections in PubMed, um, the most common ones were candida species, mostly the GI site, histoplasmosis, pneumocystis, cryptococcus uh, were most common. And then um, in the French study, Candida, Aspergillus, and Pneumocystis. So Pneumocystis, um, as you've heard, um, is basically a, a fungal infection that increases with uh, being on multiple immunosuppressants, um, as well as uh, being on long-term steroids, and, have, and not actually also being lymphopenic. The presentation generally is a cough, fever, and shortness of breath, and tests include chest x-ray, uh, CAT scan as well, and a lot of times you're going to also have to obtain a sputum uh, for diagnosis. Treatment is with IV trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, and expert opinion right now in the IBD world and GI world is that if you're on triple immunosuppressants, uh, consider uh, prophylaxis, especially if it includes an anti-TNF or calcineurin inhibitor. The concern with pneumocystis is that it's also associated with a high mortality, 20 to 60 percent. Histoplasmosis um, is also of concern um, in the United States. The, it's endemic in the Midwest, um, where there's a higher rate of that. Risk factors include immunosuppression um, and being exposed to soil that has histo. Presentation can be pulmonary disseminated, and diagnostic tests include fungal cultures, histoplasma, urine, and serum antigen, um, and serologic testing. Treatment is basically uh, in severe cases with AMFO, uh, with mild cases, ITRA, and actually treatment can last up to a year. Prognosis also 20% mortality in the anti-TNF treated. So uh, to summarize, how to minimize risk in our patients? Well, you've heard already in this conference, vaccinations are important, and also making sure the vaccinations in our healthy patients, even before they you know, are on immunosuppressants, make sure those are updated. Prior to an immunosuppressant, also make sure they're updated. Um, and then also consider vaccines such as the pneumococcal vaccines. Um, if they're gonna go on TOFA, you know, consider Shingrex if you can get it. You may not, if someone really needs TOFA and you can't get it, you may need to start the TOFA. Um, if you don't know their status for varicella or MMR, consider vaccine, those vaccines, but they are live, um, and so they should not be started on patients on immunosuppressants, and uh, while, on, while on immunosuppressants, no live vaccines. And then we should also be screening our patients uh, for infections prior to going on biologics. Um, and you've heard of those TB, uh, Hep B, Hep C, between uh, 
patients born between 45 and 65, 1945 and 65, consideration for HIV even, um, and then JC for natalizumab, and consideration for prophylaxis um, if patients are on steroids for a long period of time, high dose, and if they have HSV with frequent flares. So take-home points. Benign infections are really the most common infections with the meds that we use. They include uh, sinus, upper respiratory, nasopharyngitis, and UTIs. Um, and serious infections are really rare, less than 2% per year, and associated with corticosteroids, thiopurines, TOFA, natalizumab, and anti-TNF therapy. And the risk does increase with combo therapy, thiopurine, and anti-TNF therapy. Opportunistics are the most rare, uh, but can be serious and should be recognized early uh, for detection and treatment. And also minimizing risk includes updating vaccines, screening for infections that may reactivate, and considering prophylactic therapies. So thank you very much.